uh, here. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 49 this morning. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael said. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Thanks, Cindy. Happy Lunar New Year. And to those of you guys, Shini and Kwaila. It's a fun time of year. Lots of dumpling eating happening at my household. Wish they had some friends over, family members over to do that and spend time with them. Um, hope that this is a good time of year for you. Actually, with, with China in mind, uh, there's a lot going on in the news there with the coronavirus. Uh, let's start there by praying, if that's okay, and then I'll, I'll pray for our time together. Uh, Father, it's at times like these that we, we uh, are reminded how vulnerable we are. Um, Lord, we just pray that you'd beat back this virus. We pray first and foremost for the people of China, Wuhan, specifically the surrounding area there, but also as it's getting, you know, spreading from there. Lord, would you just protect the many people there who maybe already have the, the virus, um, or, and please protect it from spreading. Lord, would you just, would you just beat this back? And Father, I, spiritually speaking, I, I don't know how this would, what this might look like, but Lord, would this open up opportunities for the gospel to come in and spread? Um, but Father, we, we, we put ourselves into your hands in, in all these ways. Um, and Father, as we, as we study your word now, Lord, would you give us your spirit? Would you help us to understand uh, your word here that you have in front of us? And would you help us uh, receive from it uh, what, what, what you want? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, like Cindy said, we're continuing this new thing series. Um, and I want to start with, with this I idea. Uh, it seems to me that the concept of sharing the Christian faith, sharing the gospel, is one that tends to make most people uneasy. So if you're here and you don't identify as Christian, I imagine uh, you can feel uneasy about this idea of Christians sharing uh, the faith, maybe because it, it comes with feelings of forced proselytizing, or maybe Bible thumping, or maybe it's the sense of people making you into their project. I don't know. Uh, maybe for those of you who do identify as Christian, you know, the, the, the idea of sharing the Christian faith uh, makes you feel uneasy because, well, there's uh, uh, nervousness around it or fear or maybe even a sense of guilt and obligation. Uh, but that need not be the case. In fact, it should not be the case. I was talking to two friends recently, one Christian, one non-Christian, and this topic just came up. And my Christian friend was saying to my non-Christian friend how, man, it's really hard for me to share the Christian faith. I don't really want to do it. I feel like I'm going to offend somebody, especially in this culture. I feel like people might take it the wrong way. And my non-Christian friend, it was really funny, just kind of responded like, why? Like, why wouldn't you share the faith? I mean, if this is something that's so important, you better share the faith. Just don't be a jerk about it. <laughs> and my Christian friend had one of these moments where he's like, oh. And I'm sitting there kind of third party of like, wow, my non-Christian friend is telling my Christian friend to share the gospel. Um, 
Anyways, and that's what we're talking about, right? Not just sharing the faith, but sharing the gospel. The word literally means good news, sharing the good news. Not just any good news, but the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's nothing better if it's true, which we believe as a church it is true. Um, And yet it's something that can make us feel nervous. There's there's hesitation that can happen on our part. And And the question I have is why? By the way, I put myself in those in that place too. Why, why is there that, that disconnect? Why is there this hesitation? I have a Christian friend, pastor, mentor, who talks about how there really are six ways that Christians can share the gospel. There's six approaches to sharing the gospel. It's not, and it's important to understand there's six ways, at least, that we share the gospel. Number one, he says, well, he calls it the confrontational style. I call it the commando style. Uh, this is the type of sharing the gospel where you just kind of like show up with your buddy and you just say, How, how's the weather? Yeah, and uh, let's talk about Jesus. You know, you just kind of go there. I mean, the people who usually talk about this are the people who like get onto the airplane and before the plane is even taken off, the person on their left has converted to Christianity and the person on their right is on their way to converting. Um, and you know, it's interesting what my pastor mentor friend says, and I actually kind of uh, resonate with this, is most often Christians who are speaking about sharing the faith like preachers, or writing about sharing the faith are often people that have what the Bible calls the gift of evangelism. People who can just kind of on the spot just start talking about Jesus. Uh, my friend was one of those guys when I was an undergrad at UC Berkeley. He would go out into Sprawl Plaza, which is where all the students kind of gather, and just start talking about Jesus cold turkey. And the amazing thing is people actually responded positively, you know, and I would try to do it and it'd be like, oh man, you know, it'd be interesting and fun, but it'd be, you know, mixed results compared to to that guy. Hey, if you have this gift or if God gives you an opportunity or there's a prompting of the spirit to share the gospel in that sort of way, go for it. That's one of the important ways that we share the faith. But it's important to understand that's one approach. There's, there's many approaches. Another approach is, the, is, is testimonial. Uh, this is the idea of sharing what God has done in your own life. Uh, this is, say, in the workplace when somebody recognizes that you've been going through a real hard set of circumstances and that you're coming out on the other side much better, much wholer and fresher and says, wow, I can't believe you made it through. And you say something like, yeah, I don't know what I would have done if God hadn't answered prayers. Or I don't know what I would have done if God hasn't provided or showed up. What's interesting to me about this approach to sharing our faith is you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do this. You don't have to have all the theological answers easily articulated in your head to be able to bear witness, to, 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 to bear testimony uh, to the faith, to the gospel. Another approach is intellectual. And by the way, all these examples can be found in Scripture. For those of you who care, you, you, can, you, can, you can find these or think about these. But this one, the intellectual style, is like the Apostle Paul in the, books of, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, where he goes to the ancient city of Athens, and he just goes into the marketplace, goes near the synagogue, and just opens up Q&A about the faith. And he even sees that it's a very pagan city with all these idols everywhere. And, you know, an idol for this, idol for that, idol for everything. Even one idol that's labeled to an unknown God. And he just stands up in the middle where everybody is. And he says, that which you worship that you call unknown, I'm going to declare to you today. And he starts talking about Jesus. That's an idea of intellectual, uh, uh, the idea of in, uh, intellectually sharing the faith. By the way, that's something we take very seriously. Kind of a passion area for, here, for us here at Current. Uh, not that we do it great or anything like that, but we have this, this passion here because we live in an area that thinks on Sunday mornings Christians turn off their brains. But that's not true. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And so we work this out. Some of you guys really have a gift at that. You guys can just kind of start going at it with, with intellectually. If you have that opportunity, if you have a prompting to do that, that's, that's one of the ways that we approach sharing the faith. And then there's this approach of service, serving others. Uh, this is the gospel lived out through serving people. This makes me think of the gal who helped host our Alpha course last semester. Uh, she has so many gifts. One of those is the gift of service. And she was just there every night, by the way, with a full-time job, working late hours, cooking amazing meals for that group. Alpha, by the way, meets around uh, food, and then you have a video discussion and so on. But the food this last semester was amazing. And I kept telling her, I was like, hey, you're working a full-time job. You're getting home super late. I'm like, we can cater in sandwiches and, and, and salads. Like, but this was her thing. She wanted to love folks through this way. So she thought about the meat eaters. She thought she had things for the vegetarians and vegans. And it was all unique foods every week. I'm just like, this is crazy. Uh, in, in a good way, wherever you are. Um, but here's, here's how I'd say this. Like, think of it from this perspective. I, I guarantee you that everybody who attended Alpha last year would say of this gal, she was sharing the gospel through this service, through making these meals. And I mean that in all seriousness, in all, in all genuineness. Um, there's the relational approach to sharing the faith. This is the idea of sharing happening in the context of relationship, friendships, family, coworkers. This idea that over time, the Christian life bears witness to Christ and, and opportunities to share the faith can arise. And then finally, there's this sixth approach, and that is the invitational, invitational approach to sharing the faith, uh, which along with the relational approach is what we're going to be focusing on today. This invitational approach to sharing the faith is focused on inviting those who don't have a church home to a church gathering, to a group meeting, to an alpha course, or something to the effect, to another event, in the hopes that friends, family members, co-workers can hear and experience for themselves the good news. Uh, and we've seen God use this in innumerable ways here at Current. Uh, when you have invited folks to Pub Trivia, the Mountain View Art and Wine Festival, when we've thrown block parties and people come on Sundays and so on and so forth. So all six of these ways are, of, of sharing the faith are important. Today we focus on the invitational because that's what we see here in this text. And the reason why we're really picking up here and thinking about this topic today is because of the exciting news that we, met, we, we shared at the beginning of the year, and that is come February 9th, so T-minus two weeks, uh, we are launching a second gathering time. So we're really excited about that. We've mentioned three ways in which you can be involved, and uh, one is to pray, one is to serve, and today we talk about uh, one is to bring, okay? One is to bring, and we see Philip do that with his friend Nathaniel. Okay, so today we are introduced in this text, starting in verse 43, John 1, uh, verse 43, to Philip. Um, Jesus here uh, is beginning his public ministry, of course. It's the first chapter of one of these gospel accounts, the book of John. And so Jesus is just getting up and running with what he is about, what he's going to do. In verse 43, we're told that Jesus found Philip, and Philip began to follow Jesus. Now, we don't have a lot in the Bible recorded about Philip. We, we, we're not just told a whole ton about him. So it was actually kind of fun in my preparation to study this week to kind of pull that, the, what we have in the Bible together and think about Philip kind of in depth. But Philip is one of the less prominent of the 12 disciples. That is the 12 students of Jesus who hung, hung out with Jesus so much of this time for over the course of three years. And what we see in almost every single case that Philip shows up in one of the gospel accounts is he's almost always finding himself outside of his depth. I mean, he's just in, in, outside of his depth. So, for instance, in John 6, 
when Jesus is looking to feed the, the 5,000, so Jesus is teaching and with the crowds, but they kind of get off into the countryside far away from where you can easily get food. And so there's like about 5,000 folks out there. And so they're all starting to get hungry. And Jesus goes to the disciples and he says, hey, we should feed these people. And it was Philip who said, you got to be kidding, Jesus. There's no way. There's 5,000 people here? No way. That'd take more than half a year's wages. That was Philip. Um, and then you have John 12, right before Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Some foreigners for the first time, Greeks, come to see Jesus. It's, a, it's this momentous time in the life and ministry of Jesus going forward that, that people outside of Israel are starting to lean in and wonder about this Jesus figure. And so these Greeks come to uh, the disciples and want to see Jesus. Actually, they come to Philip, and Philip is like, I'll go get Jesus. No. Philip's like, I'm going to go get Andrew to go get Jesus. That's Philip. And then you have John 14, where Jesus is sharing these big revelations, this kind of like these, these climactic uh, con- con- like, um, con- conclusions to who he is, what he's about with his disciples, right before he goes to the cross, saying things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Things like, the Father and I are one. And right in the middle of this like, you know, huge, huge uh, uh, speech of Jesus, Philip kind of like says, uh, uh, Jesus, right in the middle, he goes, uh, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. You know how when DJs kind of do the little like scratch, it's like, what? Like, what just, it's like Jesus is like in the middle of these like amazing statements. It's like, and Philip's like, just show us the Father. And Jesus is very patient and kind with them, but he, he stops, he pauses, and he addresses Philip. He says, Philip, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Even after I've been among you so long, that's about all we know of Philip. You got a picture of this guy? Um, what a cool guy. I love that he's in the Bible. Um, a few commentators, actually Bible scholars, say that Jesus probably here in verse 43 had to go directly to Philip to say, follow me, because Philip, based on the personality profile that we have of him, probably would have never on his own initiative gone to Jesus, uh, which is conjecture, but it's an interesting thought. Um, How encouraging is this guy? I love that this guy's in the Bible, because what we see here is Jesus went out of his way to find this perfectly ordinary guy and to enlist him into being one of his main ambassadors, a guy who would share the gospel in some of the greatest ways. Um, This has to be telling us something. It has to be telling us something. It has to be telling us at least that God can and wants to use any and everybody when it comes to sharing the gospel. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be uh, alpha dog in personality. Uh, You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the theological answers worked out, easily articulated. You can even fumble along the way, and God can and wants to use you. That's encouraging. I don't know about for you, but I I find myself being Philip more often than I would otherwise think. So how did Philip participate in sharing the gospel? Let's look at this in verses 44 and 45. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was known for being a fisher fisher town. Actually, I think it's literally translated that way. Um, So while we're never told directly, Philip was probably a fisherman, which means he's probably blue collar. Um, But Philip found Nathanael and told Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Now, we're never told anywhere that Nathaniel and Philip were friends, but it's likely the case, okay? For stars, it says that, that Philip found Nathaniel. So it's unlikely that Philip was just kind of walking around and saw a crowd of people and just like, I found Nathaniel. Okay, it's probably a friend in that sense. But also here we see that Philip is speaking a very unique language to Nathaniel. You don't just show up to anybody and say, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's undoubtedly clear that Philip really understood that Nathaniel was a person of the Hebrew scriptures. Okay, what we today call the Old Testament uh, scriptures. Uh, because that's what uh, Moses refers to, Moses being the person who wrote the first five books of the Bible, including the law that Philip references here. And also when Philip references the prophets, it's the rest of the book, the Old Testament, these, these scriptures that lead up to the life of Jesus. Philip, in a sense, is saying to Nathaniel, uh, yo, Nate, uh, you, you, had this, you know the scriptures that you know so well? Uh, they all point to the dude I got to show you, uh, to, to Jesus, son of Nazareth. Philip, of course, here, even as the newest follower of Jesus, is telling his buddy, there's something you got you to check out. And then Nathaniel responds in verse 46, Oh, sweet, I now turn my life over to Jesus. No, that's not how it goes at all. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. Nathaniel picks up on a little thing that Philip references and just is just tweaked out by that. Here's what Nathaniel says. Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel's scoffing at this idea that he's from Nazareth. Um, uh, this is such a real thought. By the way, this is the kind of thing that the early writers wouldn't have included in the Bible if it hadn't really happened. Because if you were trying to project Nathaniel, who would have been known as the saint, this amazing person of faith, you probably wouldn't have projected him as scoffing here. But he's, 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 he has some barriers up, Nathaniel. Probably barriers that he does, he's not even himself aware of. Uh, the way it worked back then is where you came from really mattered. It carried a lot of importance. In fact, there's some places of the of of the globe today that that's still the case. For instance, when Cindy and I lived in China for, for a couple of years, uh, whenever people, well, a lot of the times when people there describe where they're from, they'll say, I'm from such and such a town, which is, such, which is a few miles away from the town that, say, Confucius was born, or from the town, right near the town where Mao was born. And as they're saying that, it's not only informational, helping you kind of, oh, okay, right there. It's also coming with a sense of pride and a sense of importance. This one of Nazareth is kind of the opposite direction. The Israelites thought of Nazareth in the sense of like, nothing comes out of there. You got to be kidding me. I used to have a job in Oakland. Uh, one of my first jobs was in Oakland. And I would have friends regularly say to me, oh my goodness, you work in Oakland? And I'd be like, man, that's messed up. Yeah, I work in Oakland. It's great. Uh, and you guys know this is the case. Actually, this happens today. The Warriors were never the Oakland Warriors, Right? What were they? They were, they were the Golden State Warriors. Now what are they? The San Francisco Warriors. I was never, okay. anyways, uh, I'm an East Bay native, so I'm getting a little chip off my shoulder. Um, same thing, same thing. Nathaniel is saying, oh, Nazareth, nothing can come out of that. No one important can come from there. But here's what's amazing. Philip here doesn't give up. He doesn't just drop it. Say, okay, whatever, we'll leave that. Nor does he get all defensive saying, oh, no, Daniel, no, you, just, you, don't, you don't understand. Nor does Philip try to explain or even try to persuade. Nate, you just, you need to understand. You need to understand. What does Philip say? He says, come and see. Uh, and I just love this. Come and see, Nathaniel, 
for yourself. Um, this to me is the very heart of what it looks like for a Christian to share their faith. Something that we aim to do, by the way, here at Current, it is so central. We want to hold out and offer Jesus. Because if this is true, which we believe this is true, it's true. It's the good news that Jesus came to restore our relationship with God the Father. We can have a relationship with Him because of what He's done for us on the cross. If that's true, then there is no onus on the Christian to get defensive or to be overly pressing or to uh, 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 be forceful about it. Uh, we just need to hold Jesus out and offer him. And this come and see approach happens in, in, in many spaces. Uh, for instance, it happens on Sunday mornings. I mean, this is a lot of what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings, just, just put it all out there. And that, by the way, is not just happening in through the preaching of the gospel or the singing of the gospel. It happens regularly, this come and see, in Christian community. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mentioned this at our welcome lunch last week, but it probably comes as no surprise to anybody in this room that the Bay Area is known for being not very receptive towards Christianity. In fact, it is, known, it is actually the most unchurched and de-churched part of the U.S., that's what social scientists will call it. So unchurched, of course, people who have never had uh, really a church background at all. Maybe they go to a funeral, maybe they go to a wedding, but, but basically no church background. De-church being they'd gone to church a while in the past, but for whatever reason, over the last six or 12 months, depending on the study, they just haven't been going anymore. It's just the Bay Area is the, the, the place where people are most unchurched, most de-churched. That, that probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, but do you want to know what the three main reasons why people are rejecting the church in greater numbers than ever before and wanting nothing to do with the church to begin with in greater numbers than ever before? Surveys will tell us for the reasons of, number one, hypocrisy, number two, self-righteousness, and number three, judgmentalism in the church, which means people are rejecting Christianity because of Christians and not because of Christ. And as tragic as that is, that's actually our opportunity to just be like, you know what? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And to the extent we get out of the way and we just hold him up, do the things that God's calling us to do. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The chance, but to the extent we do that, people will actually begin to see who he is and be able to come and see and experience and make up their own minds. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about these things, hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism, because these three things just so happen to be the things that Jesus in the New Testament scriptures of all the accounts we have, the ones that really got him worked up, really got him going, really got him excited. I mean, Jesus was normally pretty gentle, sweet, kind in his temperament, patient, but the things that really got him animated were hypocrisy, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, because the gospel should bust down all of that. I mean, think about judgmentalism, right? Jesus had every right to judge coming as the Son of God. I would say that would qualify him to judge. And yet when he came first time around, he didn't judge. In fact, he came teaching his followers to not judge. What's more is the gospel is on the cross. Jesus took our judgment for us. So what business do Christians, we have, you know, let's look at ourselves, have in judging others? Um, 
And so, for instance, as a, a Christian community does its best to say, you know what, we are judgmental, we are hypocritical, we are self-righteousness, uh, we, we do have self-righteousness, and we are sorry, and we need Jesus because that's the point. He came for everybody. To the extent we start to do that, Jesus will say people will see something and find that attractive. Why? Because these three things, just to keep picking on these things, aren't just a Christian problem. They're a human problem. When you think about hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism, just read Twitter, okay? That's not just exclusive to the Christian community, right? I mean, let's be real. But the Christians, we need to at first say, you know what? We are the first who need to say we are these things, and we're sorry. And by the way, when we do these things and do all the other things Jesus said to do, encapsulated in the thought, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. When we love selflessly, unconditionally, even pointing people to Christ and his likeness and all those sorts of things, as we do that, as we forgive, as we extend forgiveness, receive forgiveness, by the way, doing that in a diverse community that would no otherwise get together other than like a bond in Jesus, as we do that, Jesus is saying, by this, all people will know you're myself. That's one of the ways we have a come and see experience for folks too. And, by, and if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, we hope that that's the case. That you're just like, man, I thought Christians were weird. That the goal there is not to be not weird. The goal is that you would, we would offer out Jesus, that you get to experience him and make up for your own self uh, what to do with him. Um, because that's really the offer here, right? Psalm 34 verse 8 says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an invitation saying, hey, if God's not good, well, okay then. But if he is good, then he's there waiting for you, um, which is, of course, our prayer. There's a lot of people in our society who say, ugh, Nazareth, but rather, ugh, Christians. And that's great news because it's not about Christians, it's about Christ. And we just want to hold him out, even our own need for Jesus, which is, of course, the gospel. And so what we're considering today is this idea of bringing uh, this bringing into a come-and-see environment, whether it's here on Sunday, whether it's wherever there's Christian community or the Gospels preach or whatever the case might be. We're obviously today kind of trying to row in the same direction and trying to like, you know, all go at one time and see if we can use this momentous and celebratory occasion to invite and bring along. So would you prayerfully consider in these next two weeks of inviting uh, a friend or two to come join with us? You know, hey, my, my church is getting ready to uh, go to, to two gathering times. It's going to be real fun. They're going to make it real fun, and uh, it'd be fun for you to come along and, and experience this. Um, this is also why we do these pub trivias, these, this game for good, games for good experience that we do where we're playing games and making a difference, giving back to organizations and ministries uh, in, in, the, in the community, um, all with the hope of, of not only just making a difference, but also helping people come and see, taste and see uh, that God is good. I don't know about you, Christian friends, um, but while this is still a, a call to action and something that takes initiative and prayer on our part, come and see does seem a little bit more doable. It does seem doable. Um, last thought we see here in the last few verses is Jesus is often already at work in our lives. So verse 46, Philip says, come and see. And so the two of them go off, Philip undoubtedly leading Nathanael off to see Jesus. And then verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Okay, what's going on here? 
Uh, what we see is Philip, this new follower of Jesus, is bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. But even from afar, Jesus is already initiating an interaction with Nathaniel. Do you see that? Philip's bringing Nathaniel along, but Jesus is already like, I see you over there. Um, here's who you are. Um, and Nathaniel's freaking out, right? Nathaniel's saying, how does this guy know who I am? How does this guy know what kind of person I am? And how does he know that Philip and I were just hanging out under that fig tree talking about him? Um, look, we could spend a lot of time discussing what all is going on here. There's a lot of information Bible scholars put their minds together to try to figure out what is the significance of Jesus saying this is a man of no deceit? What is the significance of the fig tree? I mean, we could spend a lot of time on that, but the, 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 the bottom line of it all is we don't actually know all those answers. We don't actually know all the little nuances going on here. But what we do know is at the high level, something special is going on, and that is Jesus is having a very personal interaction with Nathaniel, and it is blowing Nathaniel's mind. Uh, what we see is Philip bringing, while Philip is bringing this interaction about, it's Jesus who has already had his loving eyes and heart on Nathaniel, which is so important for us to understand. So if you're here and you don't identify as Christian, this is so important for you, for all of us to understand the Christian faith ultimately isn't about doing good things. The Christian faith isn't ultimately about being a good person, building in good habits. Those are wonderful and important things. Don't hear me, get me wrong. But they're not the ultimate thing. Christianity ultimately is what we see here happening between Jesus and Nathaniel, and that is a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, that Jesus knows you through and through that he knows me through and through. The things that are good in your life, the things that you are not proud of, and he loves you intimately and infinitely. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus before, that's the gospel invitation. The scriptures say it this way, if you, uh, to whoever who believes on his name, to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. And if that's you today and you'd like to receive what Jesus has done for you on the cross, how he lived the life that you and I can't live, and died the death that we deserve because we live sinfully, which is just to say disobediently towards God and selfishly towards others. Because he died on the cross for the forgiveness of those sins, we can have life in his name because God the Father raised him to life. And if that's you and you'd like to receive him today, you can do that right now in your heart and become a child of his. And if you so do choose to do that, let us know. Let someone know so that we can come alongside you, resource you in a non-pressure way, celebrate with you. Um, but that's the gospel. That's the good news. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, this is important for us to understand because God knows you through and through like he knows Nathaniel and loves you. Which means, by the way, friends, even when you are ashamed to share the faith, he loves you. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus came unashamed for those who were ashamed of him. And on the cross, he took our shame for us. Which means he loves you even when you don't have it all in you to even share the faith. And by the way, that's also the antidote to start to begin to live this out. How do we begin to share our faith a little bit more? Even a come and see perspective, let alone commando or intellectual or testimonial, or any of these number of ways that we can share the faith. How do we begin to do that? Is it by just mustering it up and saying, okay, I'm going to do this? 
Is it by just not feeling guilty and just, no, no. It's by recognizing and receiving more deeply that Jesus is not ashamed of you no matter what. He loves you. And when you start to realize that that's what God came to do for you, that he came to do for me, it can't help but begin to bubble up within us to want to share that and to want to point others towards that. Because that is the best news. He is the best news that there is. And so, friends, as we gear up for this uh, launching of two service times, uh, would you think about praying for somebody and, and inviting somebody for the, this, with, with all this in mind? And I just can't help but think in a few months' time, maybe in a year's time, God willing, we'll have a number of stories where we're just like, man, this is, that's what it was all about. Can you believe that? I love how Cindy was talking about like a waitress getting this on the, on the card. Um, I just, it makes me think of a number of stories that we've celebrated even in the last few weeks, last few baptisms, people put, putting their faith in Jesus. One person was invited last Easter by a friend, and then they just decided, you know, I'll come back. I'll check it out. No church background. I'll, I'll come back again. Okay, this isn't so weird. I thought it was going to be weird, but I'll just keep coming back. And oh my goodness, I believe. Or I think about any number of friends in Alpha, this last course, that just because a friend invited them along, they're just like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Now, by the way, does that mean if you go to Alpha or if you, if this, that we will then therefore become followers of Jesus? No, that's not how it no, that's not what we're saying here. And Jesus at many times says it. that's not necessarily how it goes. Even as he's not trying to force the faith upon people. It's not in his nature. But as we just do our best to get out of the way, hold him out, lift him up, people see him and are drawn to him as we were, if that's you. Um, so let's be thinking about this and praying about this. Would you join us in that as we, as we seek to make a couple weeks, every week, uh, come and see? Uh, let's pray. Father, we don't deserve the gospel. We don't deserve you being unashamed of us when we not only were ashamed of you, spiritually speaking, were we just outright rejected you. Uh, we weren't, spiritually speaking, just embarrassed, we, we were, we were full-blown saying, no, we don't want this. And yet you came loving us, caring for us. So Lord, would you let that good news just sink into our hearts, that you love us like you love Philip and Nathaniel, that you see us under whatever our fig tree is. You see any of those who are yet, you're yet going to be bringing into the faith through their fig tree, I don't know, office cubicle, uh, apartment on the side of the complex. I don't know what it is, but Lord, and, and then for, for those of us who are followers of yours, Lord, would you help us, like Philip, who's just a, such an awesome example of just being somebody who just is not an intimidating force, would you help us just to play our part and just say, hey, you got, you got to see this. You got to come and see. We don't have to get defensive. We don't have to get We don't have to try to press it on people. We just have to lift Jesus up. Lord, would you help us as a church? Just lift Jesus up. And would you draw people to yourself? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.